welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt and taxes and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, with the love of fantasy books and funk, and the hatred of running more than three miles, Dave Denniston. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, welcome back to another fireside chat where we get to know a physician, their story, their background, their history, and how they got to what they are doing now. My next guest has been a pediatric physician, pediatrician, and she is married to a a physician as well. But now she has transitioned to being a certified life and weight loss coach and has a podcast about it. So I know we have a lot to learn, a lot to talk about. Please please help me welcome Dr. Katrina Ubel. Welcome, Katrina. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm so glad to be here. Well, so glad to have you here, Katrina. We were just chatting away for like 15 minutes. I was like, man, we should have recorded some of this already. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah, we should have. So um, tell me a little bit, Katrina. I know you live in in the next door state of Wisconsin. Give us a little bit of of a background. Did you grow up in Wisconsin or, or where are you from originally? I actually did not. No, I actually was born and lived until I was 10 years old in Southern California. Where? So, <laughs> yeah, totally kind of random. So I was in Southern California and then uh, my dad um, just got a job transfer. We moved to the Detroit suburbs in fourth grade and, um, and then, you know, finished my growing up there. And the reason I ended up in Milwaukee was, is because that's where my husband and I both matched for our residencies. So we did the couples oh. match. Actually, we didn't really do technical couples match. It's a long story. <laughs> we were advised not to do the technical couples match. For, he, was, he was in the early match. At that time, your nose and throat was early match. I was regular match. It all worked out. I'll save that, save that whole story. That's not probably too interesting. But we both ended up in Milwaukee for our residencies, having zero intention of staying long term. But my residency was three years and his was five. So I got a job at a pediatric practice thinking, well, this will be two years or maybe longer. We'll have to see. And then he was able to buy into a practice nearby as well. And its place just totally grew on us. And we've lived here now for 18 years. It's kind of crazy. I've never lived anywhere longer than I have in Milwaukee. So where in Cali did you grow up? Because that's where I'm from. I, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks. Yep. I had family out there. I, I grew up mostly uh, Glendora, East okay. LA County, and I went to high school down in Laguna Hills, Southern Orange oh, County. Nice. So. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always say like Thousand Oaks has become very ritzy and stuff. It was not like yeah. that when I lived there. <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. <laughs> it was very, very kind of normal California back then. <laughs> so tell me about, about your folks. You know, what kind of, were they physicians? What kind of professional background did they have? Yeah, no, I am actually just the first doctor in the family. Um, my uncle actually has a PhD, but I'm the first medical doctor. My parents are both immigrants from mm. Germany, which mm. um, is, I think, very interesting. They did not come here together. They met actually here in America. They both came for separate reasons. 
and um, both were kind of looking for just something different and ended up meeting each other. And, you know, as these stories go, long story, they thought for years that they would eventually go back to Germany. I think when my older brother, I think for a long time, they said once he was ready to start first grade, they would go back. They ended up, they did not go back. So, um, hmm. so yeah, my dad worked for Volkswagen. He actually came over to um, the U.S. working for Porsche and then, um, and then just kind of transitioned over to the Volkswagen side. And then, um, sorry, are you hearing that same? That yeah, that's, I don't know if that's going to be a problem that's, um, for you or not. That was okay. just, my wife was, oh, okay. I was just like, I, I may edit this out. I may not. Okay. So oh, I was okay. like, Oh no, it's coming. <laughs> there we go. This okay. is real life people. This we is real calls. life. Okay. <laughs> Well, so anyway, so my dad worked for Volkswagen. He actually started off uh, as a mechanic for Porsche and then transitioned over into the white collar world in, um, in quality control. And my mom, I think very, very interestingly, and just such a sign of how times have changed. I think sometimes it's hard to remember what things were like. She, her mother actually passed away when she was nine or eight, I believe. And mm. um, around nine or 10 is when kids in Germany will take a very important test. And that test will determine whether you go like university route in school or whether you go, you know, the whatever other route. And so she passed that test and she, she actually qualified to go the university route, but nobody had done that in her family. Um, her mother had died. Her, her older sister was caring for her and her father told her, no, she couldn't go do that. She was too skinny. She would never be able to do it. And so, uh, so she did not have that opportunity. And so she basically went to, you know, I mean, if you, if you translate the German word into English, it basically translates into like women's work school, hmm. <laughs> which is just like so offensive when you think about it through the normal, you know, our lens right now. Um, but so she learned to be basically be like a secretary and she learned a, a lot of home economic skills and things. So she um, was working as a secretary. I believe she was, yeah, she was working at MIT as a secretary for an electrical engineering professor when um, she met my dad. And so she did that kind of work when, once she had uh, my brother and I, she did stay home for some time. She did do some work as an aide at our school for a few years. And, um, but the rest of the time she was, she was a stay at home mom. So, um, so yeah, that's, it's, I definitely think of it as like, I'm a first generation American, not like you're, you know, typical from kind of, um, you know, other countries that are maybe more typical, but uh, in, in talking to so many people who are also first generation, like it's, um, there's a lot of commonalities, I would say for sure, in terms of kind of mindset, like being raised by people who wanted to leave, you know, across mm -hmm. an ocean <laughs> or, you know, yeah. a large uh, landmass um, to, to live somewhere different. There's a lot of commonality there. So it really sounds like um, they they both did well for themselves, but it's not like yeah. you came from like a ton of money per se. No, no, no. You know. No, they were excellent savers. Excellent, excellent savers. So tell me about, you know, what do you think, you know, you learned from your parents about money, you know, kind of good, good and bad? Oh my gosh, such a good question. I was just telling my kids the other day too, how I remember exactly when my dad told me about credit cards. We were in a store and he was paying with a credit card, which, you know, I think at that time it was kind of like, Ooh, you're you know, paying with a credit card because people had been so 
much more dominated by paying with cash and check for so mm-hmm. long. And then credit cards are becoming more mainstream. And so I think it was kind of around that time. I remember him turning to me and saying, I'm not using this because I don't have the money. I'm using this as a convenience. And so I remember him being so clear about that. Like you don't use a credit card because you don't have the money. You use a credit card just for convenience. Right. And so they made it very clear. You always pay off the bill at the end of the month. And they just, it was just like, in my mind as a kid, I'm like, oh, this is just like what you do, you know? And then as I got a little older, I realized, well, that's because the interest rate is incredibly high. And even when I went to college and I was offered that first credit card, I I took it knowing like, this is just for like an emergency. Like I really didn't need it. And I knew I wasn't going to rack up a bunch of debt. So very, I'm so grateful, so incredibly grateful that that was instilled in me early on because credit card debt has never been an issue. And luckily I've never been in a situation where that was the only way I could pay for, you know, my ability to live where I needed to rack that up. So I never got into a state where I was, you know, overspending I needed to rely on that. And I, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that I didn't get creative. Like my last year in college, I wanted to have more spending money. And so I got a job. (laughs) I was just like, well, if I want more money, I'm just going to go get a job and work and, and, you know, make some more. So, so they taught me that. I definitely would say that um, like so many people, and I don't know, this is necessarily like immigrant mentality. I mean, I just, I think it's, I coach on it all the time. I think so many people have this, but the, I, I, it's just kind of this zero sum game idea of money. Like if you have more, yeah. others have less mm. and, you know, don't be greedy with it, but then, you know, you better scramble and get what's coming to you. You know, just kind of this real, it's a real scarcity based money mindset versus the abundance of like, I can create whatever I want, whenever I want it. Um, you know, I, I, interestingly, my grandfather, who I never met, he died before I was born. Um, he was a serial entrepreneur yet, I I think somehow that just was very off-putting to my dad. And my dad was very much like long-term corporate employee. And the message really was like, if you want security, you work for a corporation, like a big corporation, which of Mm. course we know that that's, you know, not how you create security at all. And, you know, the way I coach is that, you know, feeling secure is a feeling created by your thoughts. And the best way to ensure your security is to be in charge of yourself, which is, you know, being a business owner, essentially. So, um, so yeah, so it's definitely kind of some conflicting things. I definitely also got the message of like, don't, um, well, you should always be able to make enough money to support your family so that you don't ever have to rely on a man yet in the same breath, the best way to be a mother is to stay home with your kids. Mm. So that was, there was some conflict there, mostly because I of course covered the part where I could support the family, but then having a lot of guilt that I wasn't home more and that I should be, you know, a plus mom when I'm home since I'm not there all the time, which didn't work out too well for me. (laughs) So, so hard for so many women. And I mean, especially I think about physicians doing, doing what they do. And I mean, you spend all this year, these years and money in a lot of cases through medical school and and the, the little bits that you get in residency and fellowship, yeah. if you go through fellowship and now you're working and that's around the time that most ladies are having babies. And yeah. it's such a hard decision in terms of, of, do you work less? 
do you, do you stop working? Do you work just like you did before? And all the costs of childcare and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's mm-hmm. a lot to, to grapple with. How were how you thinking about that? Um, and when did you have your kids in, in this journey? Yeah, so I had my first child uh, a few months after I graduated from residency. So I became pregnant in, at the end of residency and then delivered actually, literally, I'm not joking, two weeks after I took my boards. Oh, <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> yeah, which I was so grateful for. I was so afraid that I was going to have the baby and then have to wait another year to take my boards. And I thought, you know what, I'd rather study you know, nine months pregnant than with a one-year-old. So (laughs) I think that it definitely worked out better. Um, So I had him and then, um, yeah, I, I, since I knew I was pregnant, I looked for a job that was part-time right from the beginning, but it wasn't actually as part-time as I think I thought it was. Um, Full-time for all the other doctors at the practice was four days a week plus full call. And so I worked three days a week plus full call. So I I think I was at like 81 or 82% or something like that. But, um, but what I ended up doing was essentially working a full-time schedule, but just over three days. Like I remember when one of my older mm. partners kind of noticed that after several years of me doing this, <laughs> looking at me, he's like, you pretty much do what we do just over three days. I was like, thanks for noticing. Yes. In fact, I do. Don't I? Mm. Um, so I was every day I was in the office, I was just running my tail off, always so packed and I ended up staying late. Um, often I missed dinner a lot because I, you know, often wouldn't be there the next day. So it wasn't like, oh, well, I'll just call this family with these results tomorrow morning. It was like, well, if I'm not going to be here for two days, I don't want I them do, waiting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I would stay and do all the phone calls and, you know, sign off on all the labs and make sure everybody was kind of tucked in uh, before I was gone. And then I did have um, a nanny who would be with the kids, but that, that, that was only on the days when I was gone. So I did not have that help at home when I was home. And um, so then when I was home, I felt like I needed to be running the household. So, right. So like laundry and like, you know, grocery shopping, like all the things and also doing all the mom things, right? Like we needed to go to gymnastics class or gymboree or like whatever the, you know, age appropriate thing was at the time and trying to cram that all in. So those days were definitely just as busy, but just with the home stuff. And I, I struggled a lot during that time. I kept thinking that I just didn't have good enough systems in place. And so I was like chronically on the hunt for a new way to organize myself or to streamline what was going on at home, not really realizing that it really wasn't that. It was just that I wasn't being supported fully. And um, somehow, I don't know why we never really thought about having a full-time nanny, except I just thought, well, no, I'm home. Like, why would I need a nanny here? Like, it just, it didn't even really, you know, connect for me. But at the same time, Amy, by the time I, when I left my practice, the amount of money I made every year in profit sharing was exactly what we paid our nanny. And then I always, my husband's ear, nose and throat. And I used to always joke that I worked twice as hard as him, but made half as much because <laughs> he got home. He, he works about 20 minutes, 20 minute drive from here. And my practice, my old practice is literally a half a block from our house. So it's like, I can see it from my front yard and he would get home before me 95% of the time. I mean, probably more than 95% of the time. He was always home before me. Wow. And so I joked, right. You know, I worked twice as hard and made half as much. Well, by the end by the time I was retiring, I was making a fourth as much. I mean, 20%. It was really 
it was starting to get really hard to understand why I was doing this myself <laughs> and the family, you know, coming home so late, being yeah. so tired, just being just a zombie, you know, sitting, I just felt like I just had nothing left. Didn't feel like I had any energy for the kids. Um, actually, my husband just found a little video that he had taken of our youngest uh, child, our daughter, when she was um, just a little, I mean, she must have been just maybe two, just learning to talk. And um, no, she wouldn't have been two. She wouldn't like probably, I don't know, like maybe 18 months or something, but she's on the changing table and he was getting ready, getting her ready for bed. And she was saying in her, in her cute little, you know, trying to learn how to speak, um, you know, language, she was like, come home, mommy. Oh. Like she was getting ready for bed. I'm like, oh, that smarts. That, hurts. that, <laughs> that hurts. one hurts to hear that again, right? At the time, you're just going, going, going. And you know, like, oh, she won't be like this forever. But man, oh man, that, yeah, that was, it was a real tough time. So I would, I would love to hear about, especially being a two physician household, how, how was the way your husband thought about money or raised about money the same or different? than how you were raised. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how often we're so grateful how we bring up like, gosh, I'm so glad we're on the same page on this. Luckily his parents had taught him very similar lessons. Like, you know, similar to what I was talking about with the credit card. Like he was taught the same thing. Um, he naturally is not much of a spender. Like his parents would, you know, just give him a credit card to have in college and medical school, like, and they'd be like, you know, you can spend some money sometimes, you know, like he just, <laughs> it just really was not, not a thing for him and nothing that he had to really worry about. So, um, so that's never been a big deal. We both are really on the same page in terms of investing and our risk tolerance and things like that. Um, I would say that, I mean, you know, like so many people, when we first got married, it was kind of like dividing up the tasks, you know, like division of labor, these things all need to be done. Are you going to handle this or am I, are we going to do it together? And so finances, bill paying, things like that fell onto his plate, obviously with me being involved and informed, but he does the day-to-day -day on that. And what I found for a while was if we were going to be spending, you know, kind of a larger sum of money on something, I would say like, well, do we have enough money? Are we okay? Like, are we saving enough? Are we this and that? We weren't really sure. And we actually spent some time with a bookkeeper for several months um, just on our personal stuff to just kind of see like, how are we doing with our money? Like, let's just have a meeting once a month and see what is actually happening. And I remember just thinking like, this is so nice, like knowing, you know, like where is all of our money? And um and so, you know, as I've then started my own business and, and have, I make way more money than I ever did as a doctor, like just being able to contribute more evenly. I, I think I, I feel less of a need <laughs> to, to always see every little detail and, and know all those things. But, um, but yeah, I think we're, we're just so lucky that we are really on the same page on all of that. And I would say the only time that we really had like a bit of an impasse was when he wanted to buy into his, um, surgery center. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, uh, basically mm -hmm. without going into all the details, um, how do I best describe this? Basically what he was being charged is not what other doctors and other specialties were being charged to buy in. And he tried to negotiate, he did everything he could do. And basically it was just like, there was no, the, the person selling was not going to budge and that was just how it was. So take it or leave it. And I was really, really concerned, especially because the loan that he was going to take out would not be forgiven if he died. 
So if he died, I would be on the hook for this loan, except mm. that we would only get paid if he were operating. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow. Hold on a second. This is not like, you know, you have to be a contributing member at a surgery center. So I had actually ended up um, asking him to take out some additional life insurance to cover sure. that loan. Sure. If, you know, God forbid it were to happen. Yeah. And, um, and that's how we came to an agreement on it. I finally was like, okay, we can do this. Well, <laughs> but, I think, I think that was, an, know, I think that was a, that was a yeah. really smart move actually on, on your guys's parts and, and something I think a lot of us can learn from, you know, just understanding what if, and, yeah. and then um, it wasn't like something that, that you would be getting as much from that asset um, right. sh- should something happen. And, and I think digging yeah. into it, like you guys did was a really, really smart move. And then coming up with a way with which to solve yeah. the problem. Exactly. Um, so, so that was very financially savvy and well done. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, so um, tell us about the, the timeline of starting your practice that you have now where you're helping physicians with weight loss. So it sounds like, you know, you're in this situation with being a pediatrician, you're working so hard, not getting paid a whole lot for doing what you do. And then now you somewhere in this, this timeline of having kids and kids are getting older, you, you start yeah. this practice. So walk me through the, the beginning time of that and, and why you chose this particular niche. Yeah. Well, what ended up, I mean, really, as I was struggling, as I said, you know, I was having all these problems with, with my systems, I felt like I also was struggling with my weight myself. And so all through college, honestly, medical school and residency as well, I would gain weight, I would lose weight, just up and down, then, you know, attending life plus babies and all these other things in there, it was just a lot of not being able to ever maintain my weight, always gaining or losing. And so I lost weight several times, I mean, more than several times um, with Weight Watchers, but I could never keep it off. And so finally I had had my last baby. I knew we were done having kids and I had lost the baby weight, promised myself I would keep it off and then proceeded to gain it all back. And so it became real clear to me. maybe what I'm doing isn't working and maybe I need to try something different. And I was also approaching 40. I think the big milestone birthdays often are really that kind of, you know, reevaluation kind of time for us. And so I was just looking at everything and I realized, you know, I think I need to try something different. So I started just kind of exploring to other avenues of um, ways to lose weight and educating myself and other things. I think it's that old, like Einstein quote, you know, if you keep doing the same, I'm paraphrasing, keep doing the same thing over and over again, um, expecting a different result, you know, then that's, that's, you know, insanity. That's basically what I was doing. I'm like, I'll just do this again. And maybe this time I'll want to follow, you know, counting points for the rest of my life. And that day never came. Mm. So, so I was already kind of trying to sort that out. And at the same time, like I described, you know, working was, was really challenging having the three kids feeling like I wasn't doing a good job at home when I was, you know, um, at home feeling like I wasn't always doing a great job at work because I should have been home, you know, when I was at work, um, just really struggling. And, um, I was employed in a private practice and, um, and, you know, without getting into all of the details, there just basically were some, some ways that things were run that I just kept thinking like, and hoping honestly, that they would get better over the course of time. And I, you know, I would speak up and there'd be conversations and stuff and know it's going to get better. You know, like that's not how we feel or whatever, but it really, I often really felt like a cog in the wheel. Like I didn't feel, um, like I was really just kind of a contributing member of the team necessarily. And I also felt after 10 years, 
certainly not like I knew everything because you can never know everything as a doctor, but I really felt like the, the main bread and butter things that we saw day in and day out. Um, it was kind of like, you know, I'd be like, listen, give me any baby who won't sleep. I'll get him to sleep. Like, I just didn't feel challenged by it anymore in a lot of the things that we did day to day. And um, I, I remember sometimes thinking like the family would start launching into their story, telling me what was going on with their child. And I remember thinking like, well, you can stop talking because I already know what the answer is. Like, it was like, which is so rude. Like, that's not how we want our doctors to be. But it was like, I don't even need to hear the whole story because I, I already know exactly what we need to do to, to make this better. And so I just was just kind of like feeling stagnant. I couldn't have really verbalized that at the time, but, but I just didn't really feel challenged anymore. I didn't have an opportunity within the practice to grow more. And I just thought about things like being on a hospital committee that didn't really interest me, doing more admin types of work. And so, um, so then one thing, something happened that basically really made it obvious to me that things were never gonna change. It wasn't really ever going to get better. After 10 years of hoping, it just was not going to get better. And that was like, I had this night where I was just up, unable to sleep, still so angry about it. And I started thinking like, okay, well, if you're going to be this mad about it, what are all your options? Like, just start thinking, like, what else could you do? And so I started thinking about other places I could work and none of those sounded that attractive to me. And then all of a sudden it was like, out of nowhere, I just had this thought, or you could retire early. And I was really just like, wait, could I? I mean, do people do that? Like, I'm a doctor. Like, I thought I would do this my whole career. But I got to sleep that night thinking, well, I'll work another 10 years and that will be a 20-year career and that's respectable. Like, mm. they, whoever they are, right, <laughs> will think that that's respectable. And so I was like, okay, so next morning I tell my husband I think I want to retire in 10 years. And he's like, oh, okay, we'll have to think about that in terms of kids' college and whatever. But like, okay, fine. Well, once I gave myself that open that opening that kind of window it was within two weeks it went to five years and then two years and then six mm. months i was like i'm i am done i need to take a break i don't know what i'm gonna do i need to, but i just i need to not be doing this anymore and it was i mean a really big decision right i and once i got to that i still sat with it for a while and talked to some key um, you know people who i really trust in my life because i knew you know i'd spent 10 years building this practice and you know, kind of molding my, <laughs> my patients and families to be how I wanted them to be. You can't, you can't just like walk back to that. There's no do-overs with that. Yeah. You leave, that's yes. it. You're saying goodbye to that forever. Yep. And so I thought about it long and hard and really realized, you know what, like I said, like we didn't need the money anymore. We had no student debt. We had done a big renovation on our home in addition, and we'd paid for that in cash. I, it just, I just really couldn't come up with a lot of good reasons why I should stay. Mm. So I thought, well, let me just take a break, sort myself out. I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure it out. I had also about a year or two prior, uh, found life coaching for the first time, very random story, but a friend who had become a life coach helped me with a relationship issue that I was having. And it really helped me. And I loved it. I thought, oh my gosh, this is such great work. I looked into it at the time to become a coach, but we just had too much going on. My youngest was like an infant still. It just wasn't a good time. And so once I decided I was going to take a break from practice, I thought, well, you know what? I always didn't want to do that life coaching thing. I should do that now. So I decided to check that out and decided to go ahead and, um, and, you know, become a life coach, not having really any intention of becoming 
um, you know, a business owner or wanting to do any of that kind of work at all. Hmm. And uh, I, the reason why I settled on, I'm, I'm being a hundred percent honest with you when I say that the reason I settled on what I do now is because part of the life coaching certification included some business coaching. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess if I'm paying for it, I could try it. You know, I mean, I guess like that was my level of commitment to it. Mm. And I thought, well, I mean, I could try it and see. And I just found the work so compelling. I ended up losing a bunch of weight. It was so helpful. I really became the person that I had wished had been out there. Like I literally had Google searched weight loss for doctors and all that came up were medical weight loss clinics. And, um, and I was just like, okay, this, no, this is not what I need. I need someone who can, who understands what a doctor's life is like, who can help me to lose weight. And so I thought, well, if I struggled so much, like maybe I can find somebody else, you know, some other doctor who wants this information too, because it totally changed my life. And I think it would have really helped me when I was in practice. And, um, and so, yeah, I just started offering some coaching and it just took off like wildfire. Like I can't even begin to describe how quick, yeah. Let's, um, let's break that down a little bit. So you, you offered coaching to who and how, you know, like, (laughs) were were you, were you hanging out in the break room at a hospital? Were you, you your, your, your husband (laughs) were dropping your name, you know, walk us through how you, cause getting started is the hardest thing for any side hustle. I don't care if it's land flipping what I do or the coaching that you do or, um, real estate investing. The first few are the hardest to get started. So walk us through. Yeah. Okay. Well, so it was an online business from day one. And so I've never seen, you know, clients like in person on any regular basis. I have held some events and that's the only time I've interacted with my clients in real life. Um, So it was always an online business. And so what I did was created a website and I went into some Facebook groups. So Facebook groups, there's, there's a lot of different ones that have all kinds of different special interests, but they also have rules. So there's a lot of Facebook groups that are for women physicians with varieties of interests, but you usually are not able to promote yourself directly in there. So I couldn't go in there and be like, Hey, I'm offering coaching. Do you want to sign up? But I could become a valuable member of the group and I could, you know, offer help And, um, so, you know, when it felt like it was the right, um, group and, and allowed, I would sometimes post a blog post that I had written, um, that I thought would help some of the members of the group. And of course, at the bottom of the blog post, I offered, you know, free call with me and things like that. And then I just had, I got clients in the beginning from just some random places. I definitely got a few from Facebook groups. I was able to get a, um, a spot on our local NPR station. And I got a client through that. Mm. Um, and, and at this time I was always speaking just to doctors and I had some doctor clients, but I also had like, um, a pediatric dentist. I had the wife sure. of a doctor. I had a sure. physical therapist, you know, like it was kind of like really close, but not exactly who I was working, um, who I, you know, who I was advertising to. And then what ended up happening was I started my podcast and I thought, you know what, I think this is going to be good because people are going, to, I'm going to give them really good help on this podcast. And they're going to think, well, if this is, if this is the free stuff, I can't imagine how good the paid stuff is, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, that was my mindset with the whole thing and what I was envisioning. And, uh, but again, I couldn't promote myself. So I 
Well, you're, and you're genuinely, had, you're genuinely helping people, right? Yeah, genuinely. You know, yes, yes, absolutely. Offering, I mean, this is like, I can't even tell you how many people have emailed me to tell me how much weight they've lost just from listening to my podcast and applying what I've taught them. So like tons and tons and tons of people get free help from me. And I love that. And then a certain small subset will pay me money for additional help. And um, you can actually turn, it turns out you can build a really nice business <laughs> just on that small subset. So once I got the podcast up and running, I remember um, I maybe had five episodes out or so. And um, somebody in one of these large physician, women physician Facebook groups mentioned my podcast. And in 48 hours, I had 10,000 downloads. It was just like, boom. Like, yeah, like word of mouth is so huge for doctors. Like you see in these, in these Facebook groups, you know, people will be like, I found the perfect handbag. Here it is. It's on Amazon. And like everybody runs and buys it, you know, like the fact that it was vetted by one of our own really has, has a lot of clout, you know, it means a lot. And so if somebody goes on there and is recommending a podcast, people like, I mean, at that time, many people were like, what's a podcast. And I'm in the, in the comments threads, like helping them find, you know, the app on their phone and, and helping them search for it and stuff, you know, <laughs> so they could find it. And, um, and so it really just kind of took off from there. But once people started listening to the podcast and started really getting some help and, and realizing it was like, they didn't even know they needed what I was offering. But once they had a taste of it, they were like, oh my gosh, I need this. And so that whole, I started the podcast at the end of January and, and the rest of the, by the end of the year, my business was like, I had had to scale so much just because of all of this interest. It was like unrecognizable. Well, I think, I think what's, what's so interesting. And I find this for myself too, and all the businesses that um, I have where there, there's this, um, part of the side hustle and the grind was doing some of what you're doing, right? And that's what we're doing right now is we're putting out content out there that hopefully people can relate to and, mm-hmm. and share and, and talk about, uh, which is the grind of it, you know, and, yeah. and um, it's, you don't get paid <laughs> for doing right. the content. Right. In um, fact, I mean, I pay someone to help me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It can, it can actually be, be reversed. Uh, yeah. of that and you're investing time and, 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 um, somehow, some way, you know, you, you end up, um, either getting results from it or not. Right. right. You know, th- there's certainly yeah. plenty of cases where people don't get yeah. the results that they're looking for. So this cross section of the market and what the market is looking for versus, the um the the helping and the serving heart and, and doing doing what you were doing and um gosh i wish i had a magic sauce to figure out what that is and and um as we talked about here for me you know that seemed to have been the land business that seems mm-hmm. to have done well um wh- what words of wisdom would you have for physicians that that maybe are, are listening to this whether they're a male or female and 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 feeling the way that you felt where gosh, I don't know if medicine is it. And I'm interested in X, Y, Z other thing. Yeah. What, what would your advice be to that person? I mean, I, my advice is just don't wait until you're ready. I mean, obviously you have to get like some ducks in a row. You got to make sure you can pay your bills. And, you know, while you're transitioning, there's obviously things that it's, you know, a good idea to plan and think ahead. But I think a lot of people really get frozen in this belief that they're not ready and that that is somehow relevant when it comes to exploring something new. Like if you have to wait till you know everything and you know for sure it's going to work out, then you'll be waiting forever. 
And I think that's why owning your own business isn't for everybody because there is so much uncertainty and things don't work. And then you have to modify, you have to tweak, you have to be so committed to believing in what you have to offer. You know, you have to believe in it more than anyone else, right? Yeah. Like you, you just have to just say, I'm going to make this work. I don't have to wait till I have all this evidence that it's going to work. Like I can just go and make it work and get myself out there and do it. I for sure didn't, you know, did not feel ready at all. I often say like that I knew negative about running a business. Like I kind of joke about it because like, I did not know one thing, like not a thing at all about anything. And so I just figured it out. I just looked for resources and you know, here's the thing. I'm a good rule follower. Like, it, you know, I got this like booklet. It was like, these are all the things you need to do. You need to go to the bank. You need to set up, you know, a bank account. You need to set up, um, you know, the, the legal papers with the state to establish your entity. I remember thinking like, what do they mean entity? Like, Oh, that's the business. Okay. Like <laughs> just so many things. I just didn't know anything, but like I had said before, I had felt so stagnant. There was not room for growth. This was such an unbelievable growth opportunity. In some ways, I was really excited. I mean, learning something new, challenging myself in a new way. And, you know, was it always easy? Absolutely not. A lot of the time it was like hard, so frustrating. I can't even tell you the first time I was put in Facebook purgatory, like with my ads. I mean, it, it was so infuriating. Like I can't even begin yeah. to, to just describe the frustration that I felt. Like it's just the, the, the highs are amazing. The lows are just as hard, but when it's something that you want to create for yourself, like you just, you just have to start, you know, it's like, when are you ever ready to go to medical school? You're like, this is scary. I hope I can do it. And then you just do it. It's the same thing. This, this is true. This is true. Well, we're, we're getting to the point where we got to wrap up this, this podcast, Katrina. And one of the questions that I love to ask in this is how would you define financial freedom? What does that look like for, for you and your family? For me, financial freedom means having enough money to pay all of the bills and live the kind of lifestyle you want to live. And then being able to work doing whatever it is you love to do as much as you want to, and only that much. So do, do you guys have like a certain number or, you know, income stream that you're looking for to achieve that? You know, what, what do you think that looks like for you and your family? I do not have an actual figure in place. I mean, right now my goal is much more to continue building a business that allows mm -hmm. me to work ongoing basically forever <laughs> slash as long as I, you know, I'm physically or mentally um, capable of doing it. Like, I just think, why would you want to retire if you work as much as you want to doing something that you love? Yeah. Like that sounds like amazing. So I just think to myself, like that's, that's the goal. And then that of course means that money will always be coming in. And, um, and I just think that I really just try to think from an abundant mindset, the more value I'm offering, the more it comes back to me and we'll always have, you know, more than enough when we continue doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then if people are curious about checking out your podcast or maybe they want to get healthier and, and, uh, in this, these COVID times that we've had where they realize, gosh, I could be doing better. Um, yeah. what would be a way that they could check you out and reach out to you? Great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, my podcast is called weight loss for busy physicians. So, and you don't have to be a doctor to listen to it. I have tons of non-physician listeners, although I bet most of your, your listeners are doctors. So they probably will, will, um, 
qualify in that sense. And then if, um, if anybody is feeling like they're just really stuck with the 2020 uh, weight gain and feeling like they're stuck with stress eating or discomfort eating or things like that, I do have a really great resource called Six Steps to Jumpstart Your Weight Loss. And it's really just these kind of digestible little, little chunks. Like you don't have to do everything all at once. You pick one step, whatever you feel like is going to be easiest for you. Start applying it to your life. When you're ready, pick a, pick your second one and, and, uh, um, you know, on going from there and you'll start getting some serious results and just, it'll start to undo some of the COVID related, um, you know, coping eating that a lot of people have been doing. And you can get that by going to katrinaubellmd.com forward slash six S I X. Perfect. Perfect. And Katrina, any final thoughts as we, we wrap up the podcast? Yeah. I mean, I think that money is something that a lot of people think is kind of evil or they'd like to not think about it, or it's always like so stressful for them. And I just want to encourage everybody to change their relationship with money so that they love money. <laughs> you know, I went to a Tony Robbins conference and once, and he was like having everybody shout like, I love money and money loves me. You know, like, like you really just have to like start thinking about money in this, in this, uh, like your relationship with money, right? Like if you have a terrible relationship with money, you will not have very much of it. <laughs> you know, yes. you have, you always have, um, have trouble with it. And, um, and I would also just say too, you know, one thing we didn't touch on, but um, what we struggled with for a while is we had a, financial planner who was just spoke very, um, lingo-y, you know, to us, like he would say all of this stuff. And I would ask him to even to explain what he was saying. Cause I just didn't understand. It was like in a foreign language and he would say a whole bunch more other stuff and I still didn't get it. And then I, we'd get home and I'd say to my husband, did you understand that? And he's like, I think so, like mostly, but then we tried to talk about it a couple of days later and we realized we both were confused. And I just kept thinking like, well, that's his job. He can just handle it. And luckily with, you know, we didn't have any major problems with that, but um, several years ago, I decided, you know, what I'm really doing here is I'm just abdicating responsibility for my money to somebody else. And that's not cool. Like it's my money and I need to understand it. And I hire these people to help me. And if I'm not getting what I need, whether it's a different explanation or options or things like that, then that's on me. Like I need to take responsibility for either mm -hmm. conveying to this person how I best learn or how I need to be communicated to, or I need to find somebody else. And that's what we ultimately ended up doing. We just decided to transition to somebody else. And I, you know, I'll just be like, listen, I need kindergarten level here. Like, I don't know what that word means. I don't know what you're saying. I'm a smart person. I know I can understand this. We just need to speak a common language. And then, you know, that's like, okay, here we go. Like, let's dig in. And, and the same thing, I've had to do the same thing with taxes with my business too. Yeah. Where at first I kind oh, of gosh, let yes. the accountant handle stuff. And then of course something got screwed up and you know, they're not the ones who are on the hook with the IRS. It's you <laughs> if you're the business owner. Right. And so I just realized like, you know what, this is my job to understand this. And if I don't get it, then I need to ask. And um, and it's, it's so much easier to think abundant, confident thoughts about money when you are actually approaching it from this kind of mindset. So I just want to encourage people to get in there, ask questions, and it's okay to ask someone to explain it kindergarten level. Great advice. Great advice. And I think um, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, don't, don't be afraid to, to learn a little bit at a time, right? You know, don't yeah. try and learn it all today. You know, it can be over a period of time that you right. learn stuff, whether you're listening to podcasts like this one or reading or um, researching or whatever it is you're doing. 
you know, take a little Asking bit of questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I would sometimes feel so overwhelmed by the whole thing, or I would think, well, you know, so-and-so they do a lot of their investing themselves. So does that mean I have to start reading these money magazines, these investment magazines? I don't want to read those things. Like I can, I could tell like inside it felt very like toddlerish energy. It's like, but I don't want to do that. You know, like that was kind of like, <laughs> like what it felt like. And, um, and instead just being like, okay, well, what part am I interested in or which parts do I understand and which parts don't? And then maybe I can, learn a little bit more about that. And, you know, just if you, you, there are so many amazing financial planners out there who really do have your best interest at heart, who really want you to understand. <laughs> you just need to find one of them if you aren't working with one of them. Perfect. There you are, folks. Definitely make sure to check out Katrina. We'll have lots of links in the show notes, which she was kind enough to provide of, of other podcasts she has been on and, and all of her social media links. So make sure to check those out in the show notes. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Dennis. And remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.